0: And welcome to another edition of Fire in the Mountains, Ricky Wittenberg, along with Justin Edgel and Andy Waddell. And th- tonight we recap episodes seven and eight of Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television. Quick turnaround between the last two shows. Has anything changed this week? Andy, are you still doing okay?
1: Yes, I have changed underwear. We are ready to go. Justin
0: Edgel, how's it going on this uh, Devil's Knot?
2: No, oh, It's great. I'm glad to be doing this this quick you know this quick turnaround like this, especially being on a Friday night. I have more energy this this night, so yeah, looking mon- forward to it.
0: Monday nights are are a little bit harder to deal with when all of us have to work, but on on Friday nights we can let our hair down and talk like real men.
2: That's exactly right.
0: All right, so uh, going into Smoky Mountain Wrestling episode seven and eight, uh, the opening segment in episode seven. And, uh, Justin, I think you've made a, a mental note here. I'm reading the show notes and you're, you are at this point waiting for Carl Styles to molest Dutch Mantel. It appears.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for any second. He's going <laughs> to bend him over that desk and have at it with him. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. He, he, he was so close to him and staring at him. He was like six inches away. I, just, I Like, well, what the, what the hell? I mean, how close do you have to be to, protect them from the biggest idiotness in the promotion, Brian Lee. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. And I think part of it, I mean, I don't know if Carl Styles had been on television very much <laughs> up to this point. Maybe he had not even seen a television before they pulled him out of the mountains and tried to make him a wrestler. I don't know. I mean, I think he's just a little bit awkward, but yes, the, some of his expressions do give off the vibe that, um, that, uh, He's got he's got some screws loose upstairs. Well, he
2: just—it looks like he's just trying too hard. Honestly, yeah, he I mean, is.
0: That that that's ninety percent of what it is. He he's just trying too hard. I mean, he he and he's trying to flex all the time to look. I mean, we get it now, Carl. You're you're a big dude. It's okay. You can you can ease up on the flexing. Um. So, they basically opening segment at the desk, and they go straight into the first match, and it's uh, T J. Travis. And Hector Guerrero and Guerrero, uh, my show notes is that he's definitely confusing the fans in Knoxville with some of these moves. We're used to the blood and guts uh, brawling, and not really nothing like what Hector Guerrero was putting out on on display. So the fans, I don't know if they quite know what to make of Hector, but he definitely, by the end of the match, he's connecting with these fans. They really. Are into Hector Guerrero, even though they're not quite sure what they're seeing. Uh, Justin, any do you kind of agree with that? I mean, you're not—you would be more open to that kind of wrestling style as you was growing up as a kid, because watching the WWF, uh, they at least had some high flyers. And I know that the fans down here saw NWA, and we got to see some some wrestlers flying around, but they're not used to lucha libre exactly. Especially this studio audience in Knoxville, it, it, the I think he baffles their mind.
2: Yeah, he he was a little he was a little out of, um, what do you call it? Like an outcast, I guess, as, as far as what I've seen lately in this territory. Um, but you know, he was somewhat entertaining, I guess, uh, it, in some ways. I guess
0: I don't know. No, I'm a fan. Andy, do you uh, do you like Hector Guerrero?
1: Oh, I like Hector, but like you said, you could tell by the audience,
2: they were sitting there going, What the hell is this little Mexican felder doing? Yeah, he, I mean, like, that, all that rolling crap and all that, I guess it was kind of confusing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's, and he, uh, basically just a jobber match, uh, well, a squash match. Hector, he gives TJ Travis some offense. Travis is a lightweight, so he does move around fairly good, and, um, but at the end of the day, Hector gets him with the jalapeno roll for the one, two, three. So Hector Guerrero staying, they're booking him strong early in Smoky Mountain anyway, uh, trying to keep him, trying to keep him hot. So we have the Hector Guerrero match. We and I did make one other note, fans. If you're watching this match, look at the boots that T.J. Travis is wearing. He stole them off of some sort of a dime store mall Santa. I don't, that's the most hideous wrestling boots I believe I've ever saw. And it actually distracted me toward the end of the match, how bad his boots were.
2: Yeah. He stole, he stole that from the the homeless guy outside the arena or something. They looked shitty.
0: Yeah. They they didn't look like wrestling boots. That's for sure. Um, And on to back to the desk and we are with one of our other favorite characters so far, nitro danny davis and oh once, ag- God. once again shake him up and he's going to explode all over you but he did fight he did say when he steps in the ring it's good for him and and bad for you he's um <laughs> I, I liked danny davis like i said i'm going to go back to this i like danny davis as the night as a nightmare with ken wayne and i remember him fondly from southeastern and continental or it just in the territories down here, Alabama, I seen him in some of the territories on some of the wild feeds that we'd pick up in the eighties, but Danny Davis in 1992 is not connecting with me. And I don't think that he's connecting with Justin. Justin, you, you don't like Danny Davis. Correct.
2: Terrible. No, not at all. He's corny as hell. Uh, see, I mean, I'm ignorant to the fact of what he did before, because I just don't know. Well, same same difference. But what he's doing now sucks. Just get rid of it. Period.
0: Yeah. So, well, I mean, there's always going to be a few things that doesn't work. And right now, this oh, it's,
2: sure it's not all going to work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it can't be perfect. But.
0: And we'll see where that go, where his gimmick goes. Because honestly, I watched Smokey Mountain in that first round also, but I haven't rewatched it in years, and I can't even remember a lot of what happened. So I'm going to have to try to. Follow along with Danny Davis because I don't know what's going on with them either. Uh, Then we go straight to the interview with Fantastics. They're teasing their mystery partner for next week, the six-man coming up. Basically, this was a pre-tape because they were legitimately going to Japan. I don't know how much time elapses between the TV tapings, but episode seven is the last taping of a three-taping set. So we done episodes five and six last week, and seven is a continuation of five and six, and eight coming up in the next episode is going to be in the same arena in Knoxville, but it definitely is uh, at least a couple of weeks later. And we know
1: this because Grandma has on a different outfit.
0: Yes, uh, Grandma. and, And she actually, we have consulted our crime scene investigators and, uh, forensics. And she actually was the same grandma that was in episode two in Morristown or three, whatever. So this, this lady is either a very big fan of smoky mountain or she is related to somebody in smoky mountain and just goes around with them because she's, she's there. Yeah. The
2: yeah she still has a shitty outfit on too, but you know, what, what do you expect?
0: Right, she's 97 years old. I'm just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's true. Over. I mean, Bob, Sir, Tom- you
2: wasn't, you
1: wasn't in East Tennessee in 92 and 92 in East Tennessee is like 82 in the rest
2: of the country. Yeah. That 10. Yeah. You got to like send me some pictures of some family pictures or something. Or, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll,
0: we'll do that. Yes. And you'll, you'll see that <laughs> it was not just, I mean, we can crack on the Knoxville fans, but it, it was, it was just East Tennessee. So we're out of the interview with Fantastics and we go straight into the second match of this episode. It's a six man tag team, Jimmy Golden and the Coloffs versus Reno Riggins, Rocky Patterson and Ben Jordan. I think the least we could say about this match, the better it was a squash match. And the only the only thing that I take out of this match is Jimmy Golden for a guy that's six foot five has a hell of a drop kick.
2: Yeah. He was easily the best worker of all of them. Uh, I said that, you know, the most entertaining thing besides Golden was the commentators because a lot of times, especially in a, you know, territory like this, when you have a shitty ass match like you, they had right there the commentators can make it more entertaining and they did in this match for sure
0: yeah and, and imagine that the commentators actually making the match more entertaining instead of just trying yeah. to entertain themselves
2: and it, Ma- Michael Paul yeah uh, to listen to that guy
0: <laughs> they, and they were putting over the wrestlers they was putting over the angle they're putting over the fact that we're going to have a big six man next week so this is kind of a tune-up so you see where they're going with it the the reason they put golden and the koloffs in a match as a squash and uh, just setting up the angle for next week
1: the only thing that kind of caught me off guard was after the match when they was doing the interview they actually showed a fan flipping the bird on tv In 1992, I I don't know why, but that just, it just seemed out of place. Uh, it caught me off guard.
0: Yeah. I just don't think they had video editing equipment right back then. So Coronet was like, "I'd screw it. We'll just put it on TV anyway.
1: Yeah. We'll we'll do something else even more wild later on, which we'll talk about later in the episode. (laughs) All right. And
2: so I guess it wasn't as PC as it is today. I don't hell. I don't know. FCC wasn't strict.
0: No there was I don't know the regulations were much different before Nipplegate exactly and but yes, they go to the desk basically, it's an interview with Koloff and the Koloffs and Jimmy Golden. and I didn't make a note in my notes, but Vladimir we, when you're we was talking about Carl Styles trying too hard, Vladimir is trying his best to imitate the way Nikita his mannerisms and sticking his tongue out and all he does is look like a the, a half inbred version of Nikita Koloff. It's not coming off very good to me. I mean, he's definitely a cheap knockoff of Nikita.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, he, uh, it's almost like he's looking in the mirror like when he's at home and trying to imitate Nikita Koloff and it's just, it, it's not working out.
0: No. So we're done with that. Back to the desk and it's a recap of the Armstrong Ron Wright deal from the previous week, which leads us back to the desk live, and Ron Wright. He said he's going to show people what managing is all about later on, as he has him a wrestler, and uh, he goes he goes off set, and we go straight into the next match. Is White Wright wheels himself down to ringside, and Ricky Nelson is in the ring, and they've changed the spelling of his name. It's R I K K I Nelson now instead of R I C K Y. Now, being a guy named Ricky, I can tell you that that spelling is the feminine version of that name. <laughs> okay, and I will go one step further to to try to figure out why they done this. And
1: I've got. I to- have a theory. Uh,
0: I hope your theory is the same. well. You're probably gonna blow my theory out of the water. Go ahead.
1: My my theory is, it goes back to what I said earlier, in the 90s, we were just catching up with the 80s, and during the 80s, they had all kinds of whacked out spellings for different names.
0: Okay, well, my theory is actually, in maybe the first or second episode, one of the very early episodes of Smoky Mountain, Ricky Nelson, R-I-C-K-Y Nelson, is facing Killer Kyle, and Killer Kyle beats Ricky Nelson in the match. Maybe Killer Kyle took that eighteen-inch dildo to Ricky Nelson, and that's what's changed his name to the feminine version of the spelling.
2: Oh my gosh, I was wait, thinking wait. the same. I knew, yeah, that's awesome. Uh,
0: that's uh, that's as far as I can go with that. So
2: now Ron, Wright, well, that was awesome.
0: Now Ron <laughs> introduces his new character. Ron Wright has brought down the manager's license of the dirty white boy Tony Anthony. And my God, what a guy to have in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He's going to be a staple all the way through. One of the best workers, one of the most underrated workers ever in wrestling. I mean, this guy could go. He's not a little guy. Uh, He kind of is a little bit overweight, but he can damn wrestle. And that's all that matters. People in Tennessee didn't care what you looked like. If you could wrestle, and when he walked into the ring, he looked like he could kick your ass, and he could kick your ass.
1: Yes. Well, uh, I, like you said earlier, it had been so long since I'd seen these episodes that I've honestly forgot what happens. And when they started playing the music, it was instantaneous. Oh yes. We're going to see an ass whipping right here. Cause here comes dirty white boy.
0: Yeah. Justin, um, what do you make of, uh, Tony Anthony? I know you said, I know early you said, is that the guy that you, you knew him and I've told you, you probably knew him as T.L. Hopper in right. the WWF as the wrestling plumber, which was you know anytime somebody went to the WWF, they had to saddle him with the most god awful gimmick that ever right. lived. They, if they Bring would let him Str- be the dirty, the dirty white boy, I mean, he could have been, he could have been at least a little more than he was because he was a yeah. really good worker.
2: Yes, he was. I mean, he, he was I, like like you said. He he was he was he's a he's a big guy. I mean, which Vince McMahon always liked. You know, back in the day, the big six six foot whatever. I mean, he was a big dude, and he he screwed him up with with a bad gimmick, of course. But you know, I mean, looking back when he seeing him here, he's a great worker. Uh, I love his theme music. Big Foreigner fan, so of course I like his music. It fits in with him uh i'm interested to see what where this thing goes forward going forward because ron wright's funny dirty white boy is great on the mic good worker i'm kind of you know other than rip rogers i'm probably rooting for this guy more than anybody so far eight well seven six plus episodes in so right
0: And uh, at the the time of him coming into Smoky Mountain here, he's only 32 years old. So he's been around the wrestling business for a while. He
2: He, he does look older than that, I'll say that. Yeah, he debuted
0: in the late 70s, but um, he's only 32 years old. He was a member of the Grapplers with Lynn Denton early in his career, five-time NWA Alabama heavyweight title champion. Uh, He had been wrestling in the USWA uh, before coming to Smoky Mountain. He was another guy that we picked up all the wild feeds and some of the different promotions. So I had been watching the dirty white boy for uh, five years, probably off and on before he come into smoky mountain. So I knew that that guy could, he could go even when I was 12 years old. And I, I don't think my 12 year old self was a fan of the dirty white boy, but my 35 year old self is definitely a fan. So th- this basically was a, it was a squash match. He just pummeled Ricky Nelson And um, the end of the match, though, it was a pretty good ending. He whips Nelson into the corner, and Nelson goes into the corner chest first. He backs out, and Dirty White Boy nails him with a clothesline to the back of the head, and he kind of goes down with him almost. If he would have held on to him as he went down, it could have almost been like Jeff Jarrett's stroke later on, except a more vicious version
1: of it. It reminded me of like a reverse clothesline from hell. I mean, that's how much impact it—you know—it looked like it had.
0: Yeah. So good. Good it, job by White Boy, just decimating this guy in the making, making sure everybody knew that he was a real deal.
2: Well, he was even. He was even like looking. He kept on looking back. Even if he looked at the replay. Ricky Nelson was even looking back, and he still got. Well, it looked like he almost got killed. Got uh, his head taken off. Maybe he was thinking Killer Kyle was back there with the violin case. I don't know.
0: Yeah, so if we go to the desk after the match, and uh, we've got Dirty White Boy with Ron Wright. If Ron Wright's happy, the white boy's happy. Uh, Dirty White Boy says he can't be beat. They're going to turn re- the wrestling world upside down. So Dirty White Boy, he doesn't have to say a whole lot. He doesn't come across as scripted at all. He just comes across as a guy that that works well behind the mic, and he don't trip over his words. He works good in the ring. With Ron Wright, I mean, this is a good combination. You can tell that this is going to go somewhere.
2: Big time. Can't wait, like I said before.
0: All right, so out of that, we go into an interview with Hollywood Holly, and he's reading of the National Enquirer. He said that he's reading about Julia Robertson himself, And he just wanted to quash the rumors that he's not flying to Hawaii to marry her. And they're just good friends and not to believe everything that you read. Just a 30-second clip of Hollywood Holly. And God only knows that the gullible people in East Tennessee probably believed (laughs) that old Bob was in the Enquirer. And he really is an item with Julia Roberts. You just make anything up you want to, and, and a lot of people will believe it. Andy, I heard you laugh, and you know that's true around these parts.
1: That, damn it, boy. If it's in the Enquirer, it is almost as if it came out of the Gospel of King James himself. You know this. You know it to be a fact. The aliens are here. The Bat Boy is here. And Hollywood Bob Holly was dating Julia Roberts. I have no doubt in my mind of this.
0: Now wait a minute. Let's be let's be fair here. You're talking about the Examiner. The Enquirer was a little bit more on the up and up, but not much.
1: Hey, they they are all speaking the truth to those who do not want to listen. That's true.
0: So
2: I wonder. I wonder if you guys. Thought maybe that you guys got somebody confused, uh, Hollywood Holly confused with Dick Gear from Pretty Woman. You know what I'm talking
0: about? Oh yeah, Richard Gear. No, yeah, no, no. I. I <laughs> oh
2: okay, I'm uh, just reaching.
0: All right, so out of that, we're into match number four of the evening. So, uh, because of the squashes, we're actually having more matches tonight, and it's <laughs> Jerry Lynn that Jerry Lynn against killer Kyle. So killer Kyle makes his triumphant return. He's chasing Ricky Nelson around. He missed him by one match and he gets Jerry Lynn. Now this is Jerry Lynn pre what he would become Jerry Lynn, but you could still tell in the match he was built pretty good. He was, he actually was a little bigger than I would have thought that he would have been in 1992. And, uh, but it's still pretty much a squash match for killer Kyle David and Goliath type of match. Killer Kyle still.
2: Which I which I don't get, by the way.
0: You don't get Killer Kyle or the David and Goliath?
2: I don't get why Killer Kyle is being pushed so much. So much. He's terrible. That's because he had the case and he could
1: rub one out at the end of it. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: for all we that's say a good in, explanation. in our innuendos that we make, the announcers do not help our cause any when the end of the match <laughs> exactly. is kind of a spine buster, except he doesn't spin with it. And he picks the guy up and he drives Jerry Lynn straight into the ground. But And they call it the rub out. Jim Cornette knew what he was doing. That's a wink and a nod yeah. to the fans that yeah, exactly that actually would get it, I guess. <laughs> or, But they call it the rub out. So, Take it for what it's worth.
1: And Killer Kyle. Well, well, not only that, but before, I mean, during the match, Bob's wanting to know what's in the case. What could be in the case? So it leads right into what we're talking about. So it may be just a coincidence, but knowing Jim Cornette like that, I don't think it was.
0: Yeah. I mean, who knows? But at the end of the match, if you watch this match on uh, replay, when he does his rub out, he almost damn near knocks himself out with the move.
2: It's so that is so bad. That's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst move name I've ever heard. The, yeah, he took it to the face too many times.
0: He it, he legitimately almost knocked himself out with the move though, because he put his head too far down and his head slams right into the mat. That would have been <laughs> unintentionally hilarious if it would have. Knocked him out, and he would have just fell on top of him, but he would have been out cold.
2: Oh, good Lord.
0: But alas, it is not to be.
2: And I got it. Got
0: it is not to be. So we're out of this match. It was just another squash. And we're in a, back to an interview with uh, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. He asked Bob who he had his money on in Smoky Mountain, and Bob said that he wouldn't bet against Terry Gordy and. uh I don't think anybody standing next to Terry Gordy. If he asked you that question, would say anything but Terry Gordy? Uh, He says a lot of people's going to fall. He can't be beat, and he can back it up. He said he's the big bomber. And, um, yeah, the weird fan sighting Justin makes note of. After the match, we may put that up on the PWO board as a picture, but I swear to God it looks like a real-life teenage Peter Griffin. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the the locks were
2: overflowing, but
0: pretty much a nothing. Uh, pretty much nothing there. Gordy just
2: nothing more than uh, Terry snort snort. Gordy, or you know, I don't know, saying what he always says.
0: Yeah, he, the he
2: bombs he, are he, falling. Yeah, he some crazy ass shit, and that's what he does.
0: I still lie, I still like be Gordy because comedy. you never know what's going to come out of that guy's mouth. Uh, yep. Or out of his nose, depending on uh, what angle.
2: exactly. Well, exactly. He's and he, he's he was only like thirty years old at this point. Yeah, yeah, he looks looks like he's about fifty. And he
0: had been wrestling since he was sixteen. I mean, he had been wrestling a long time.
1: Well, and, y'all are making innuendos against a man who just likes funnel cakes. That's all it is.
0: So we go to a huh. recap of Rip Rogers and the Tim Horner squat angle from the uh, past week. And then to a live shot of Rogers, he said Tim Horner owes him $500, and to make up for it, he's going to take it out of his ass. So Rip Rogers is not happy, and that sets up this week's main event, which Rip Rogers against Tim Horner, and uh, coming out to around the ring, Otembo gets a big hug from Grandma, so sh- that <laughs> must be Tim Horner's number one fan is the the Grandma in the audience. And I, I put a note that just I know we are big on Rip Rogers, but my God, nobody emotes like Rogers. He, the facial expressions, the body language, and the actual verbal assault that he gives to the fans and his opponent during the match just puts Rogers on another level. It really does.
1: Well, it's it goes back to old school wrestling. I mean. You watch all the matches up to this match, and it all depended on what the person did in the ring. He could draw the reaction out of them just by a look or yelling at them to shut up during the match, and you don't see that in any of the other matches or, frankly, anymore.
0: Yeah, and this this was a great match. I mean, back-and-forth match, and both guys get a lot of offense. Rogers comes off the top. Rope to the floor. It looks like it's going to be one of his trademark things. Tim Horner, for the love of God, does a plancha through the ropes to Rogers. Some (laughs) during the match, they they worked each other. I mean, they didn't. There was no rest holds in this match. I mean, they had a couple of headlocks, leg scissors, but every every rest hold they were actually working through it, and they put on a pretty good pace in this match. And uh, I thought of overall so far in through seven episodes, this was by far the best match we saw and a really, really good TV main event.
1: And even when they was doing the suplex, you know, you thought for a second, Oh God, they're going to screw up and he's going to suplex Horner to the floor and kill both of them. I mean, it it was, they, they put on a good show and they made it believable.
0: Yeah. Justin, I know you're, we're all big fans of Rip Rogers at this point. What did you think of the match?
2: yeah unbelievable match uh like i said in my notes i hate the fact that he he keeps on losing which sucks because he he's easily the best worker the best talker and he needs a better push but then again you know he, he put on a good show with horner horner is a good worker too actually it was a great match uh Horrible booking decision, I think. In my opinion, like I said, with not putting Rip Rogers, you know, especially in the main event, that's a chance where you know where you can make him win and maybe do a little push, and, and they didn't.
0: Right, which well, sucks. And one
2: thing, I feel bad for the guy. He's great.
0: He is. He's awesome. But one thing we have to remember here, to be fair, this is Knoxville, Tennessee, nineteen ninety-two. Tim Horner is hometown boy. And they have just set through three episodes of TV tapings. This technically would be the main event of the entire taping. So they've set through four, eight, 12, 15 matches, It'll, something like 15 matches. So this is the go home match. You're not going to send the fans home without uh, the baby face going over in this situation. I mean, That's like the WWF sending sending home the fans with Hulk Hogan not being able to flex at the end of the match in 1988. It's just not going to happen.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, if you let the bad guy win in 1992 in East Tennessee, there ain't enough cops in the world to keep all the grannies and the gyrator and all them from coming in there and ripping them apart inside the ring. It would have been a bloodbath.
0: Yeah, Andy, I think what people forget is Back in 1992, you you send the fans home happy. I know Rick Flair and the NWA would win a lot of times as the main event, but Smoky Mountain's still building, and they've put these fans through three TV tapings. You want to send them home happy. Tim Horner gets the win. Even though we like Rip Rogers better, I get why they done it. So we have that, but that was, like we said, an unbelievable match. Um, just top-notch. So the way the show ends is we go back to the interview desk with Commissioner Bob Armstrong. And he wants to know who Cornett's team is. He's getting pretty fired up because Cornette won't tell him who his tag team is. He comes out and he says he's going to debut a video of his team next week on television. Then he acts like he's going to hit old Bob with the racket, but he doesn't. So that's basically how we wrap up uh, episode number seven of Smoky Mountain TV. And, uh, general thoughts on seven real quick guys. Uh, Andy, what did you think about episode seven?
1: Oh, well, the, especially the last match. It was a much better wrestling. They seem to be a lot smoother and you can kind of get a sense of where they're wanting to go with it and where they're trying to lead the audience.
0: Yeah. J- Justin, uh, what did you think about seven?
2: Uh, I agree totally with Andy. I mean, it, it was, it was a lot, like you said, it's a lot better than, what i've seen the last i don't know six episodes obviously and we'll see where it goes from here
0: and uh, we're, we're just-
2: it, it's it was well, it's, kind of, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say because we do two two episodes at a time and i know how good episode eight is yeah. episode eight is it, it's a launching point to me
0: Oh yeah. So without further ado, let's jump right into episode 8. After we pay a quick bill, we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Review Show, episode 8, coming up next.
1: I love football and I love relaxing. Cause for me, relaxing always includes Skoal, the smokeless tobacco. Just a pinch between my cheek and gum gives me great tobacco taste without lighting up. Got the sea, the breeze, got my skull. Nothing's gonna make me move. Think I'll place some touch. Skull, brother. Try going smokeless. A pinch is all it takes.
0: A pinch is all it takes. Absolutely. Earl Campbell. We just have the stars out the wazoo here on Fire in the Mountains. Earl Campbell pitching Skull on our show. So perfect for, uh, I'm sure there was plenty of people in the audience at this Smoky Mountain taping in 1992 that probably was dipping Skull or Levi Garrett or any number of other chewing tobacco
1: products. It's all fun and games until you pick up somebody's pick up.
0: Oh, Yes. Don't
2: ever. Yeah, it looks, like, it looks like Dr. Pepper and sure as shit, it one.
0: Mm. All right. So, episode number eight, Smokey Mountain. Straight out, uh, Bob and Dutch at the desk. They're previewing the show. And, and Carl Styles is conspicuous by his absence. Uh, Carl Styles is no longer hovering over Dutch this week. Maybe Dutch has taken out an order of protection against Mr. Styles. We're not sure but he is not with Dutch at the desk. And they just basically preview the show.
2: Thank God for once.
0: Yeah. Carl Styles not with Dutch, at least on one episode. Match number one, the golden boy, Joe Kazana against the
2: Shower. Actually,
0: <laughs> Joe <laughs> Kazana, Joe Kazana is the grandson of legendary Knoxville promoter, uh, Nick Kazana. So not a bad worker at all. Uh not the best get look, a, you know. He had a bad coat. The the gold the golden coat. You know, okay, it's like this. You want to call him the golden shower Joe Kazana. If you put him on sure. WWE TV in 1999 as a member of mm-hmm. uh teamed up with A Train and Draws or somebody like that, that would have probably got over. He, he could have been Goldust's tag team partner, apparently, possibly down the road or something like that.
2: I'll give you that.
0: So, Golden Shower Joe Kazana against Robert Gibson and um, pretty... Uh, Joe you Kazana's want the not
2: garage bad. blast, by the way. What's that? You want the, the garage blast?
0: The draws blast? Never mind. No. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. Let's not go there. So, Robert Gibson coming up, and uh, once again, a singles competitor. He needs Ricky Morton so bad at this point. It's He's just not a good singles wrestler, and we talked about that last week. We're not going to continue beating it home because this was a glorified uh, s- squash match. Gibson with the Bulldog for the win once again, and... I, Andy, you want to say anything about this match?
1: Yes, sir, I do. I have figured it out. Mamaw is back in the house in the front row in the beautiful red sweater because in East Tennessee at the time, the tobacco crop is done in. It's at the warehouse. They've got the money off of it. So she's going out and enjoying her time at the wrestling matches before the spring crop has to be planted. It's It, it makes perfect sense.
0: Hmm. I I don't doubt you. So, uh, Justin, would you like to say anything about the actual match itself? Uh, There's not really a whole lot went on here.
2: Yeah, not really. Uh, It was was a squash match, like you said. Robert Gibson sucks as a singles wrestler, and so not much much after that, honestly.
0: It will be noted that we are at the same – Venue from the last three sets of tapings in Knoxville. Not the same night, obviously, but we are at the same venue. Because the, the people in the audience have finally changed clothes and they are no longer sitting in the same positions. So we go to the interview desk with Armstrong, and he's talking about the tag team tournament. Commissioner Armstrong announces the teams, which are the Maulers, Rip Morgan and Jack Victory, they're going to take on Johnny and Davey Rich in the first round. The Fantastics against the Wild Bunch, who is Joel Deaton and Billy Black. The Coloffs will take on Nitro Danny Davis and Joey Maggs. And the Batten Brothers will be against Cornette's Mystery Team. And we go straight into a highlight clip of the Wild Bunch in Japan. And uh, in this match in Japan, they're pretty much putting a beating on Johnny Ace and my note said, "Holy shit, these guys are pretty good." From this highlight clip, Billy Black was flying all over the freaking place. He done a he done a uh, back somersault uh, backflip off the top rope to the floor. And in 1992, that was not very common. It was a uh, really good highlight clip to highlight a uh, good team for the tournament because if you didn't know billy black or joel deaton it may not really excite you but when you see the highlights of that japan match you're like wow these guys are pretty good
2: well they they look like a bunch of they they look like a uh, fat rockers to be quite (laughs) honest with you i mean that's what they look like they were they're high flyers but (laughs) they're way bigger than the rockers you know genetti and and Shawn Michaels, right? At the time, so I mean, <laughs> that, that the first thing I saw when, when I saw them was, you know, that's what I thought of.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I could see the uh, the comparison for sure. So we go in from the highlight and into the second match, and it's Keith Hart versus Hector Guerrero, and um, that. Uh, <laughs> Dutch Mantel is being prodded by Bob Cottle early in this match about the whereabouts of his boy Carl Stiles. And, Andy, I hear you snickering. Do you want to enlighten us on what uh, what's going on there?
1: No offense to Hector Guerrero, but when he came out there with that bandoleros wrapped around his body, he looked like an anorexic Rambo. I'm sorry.
0: Anorexic Rambo. I can see it. So we had um, Guerrero and Keith Hart, and somebody had made a note on the internet that I was reading for the show, and it, it said that Keith Hart is one of the brothers of Brett and Owen Hart. This is not the same Keith Hart. This Keith Hart is actually from uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. And let me give credit where it's due. Keith Hart's not a bad wrestler. This was a good match, I thought. Back and forth, high flying, and it's just cementing the fact to me that Smokey Mount really should have went and pulled a trigger on a light heavyweight division because this was a really fun match to watch, even though it was kind of a squash match for Guerrero. It it, it gave quite a bit of action. J- uh, Justin, uh, any thoughts on this match?
2: Yeah, it wasn't a bad it was, it was it was an okay match, I guess.
0: We just can't get. We're gonna have to get you on the Hector Guerrero train. It's it's just yeah. He, he, he
2: he's he's. I I guess the only problem with him is I think I compare him to his brother, which I you know I was a huge fan of Eddie Guerrero. I really was, and he's not even close to him. But
0: well, the, we'll and, see. And in fairness, Going Hector forward, Guerrero, is, we'll see. He's winding his career down at this point. I mean. He, sure. he's quite a bit older than Eddie, and uh, he was mm-hmm. in well into his forties in this match. So he's not mm-hmm. the Hector Guerrero from nineteen eighty two or eighty three. Right. He slowed down a little yeah. bit, but he's still a good wrestler. I mean, I really like dig some of the his, some of his style. That for for sure, what he's trying to do. And in yeah. in this match, I've got a note about Dutch Mantel. He's talking about uh, Guerrero. He said that he wished that he would put his foot in – his face sometime, he said he'd pull a stinking leg off and beat him over the head with it. So, Dutch Mantel uh, always entertaining on commentary.
2: Best I've ever heard, honestly. I mean, I mean, I've heard tons, of, I mean, tons of, I mean, even like, you know, Jim Ross in, in uh, WCW and in WWE and Michael, Paul. I mean, Michael Paul. Michael he sucks. But, you know, I've seen them all. And he he's, he's almost – be- he's the best I've ever heard he is by a, far.
0: He's very good. In, in,
2: in, in a really small territory, too, like this. It, it's awesome. It's awesome to hear.
0: Well, so, and one other thing I, I made a note of during the match, that Dutch Mantell – Bob was talking about Guerrero putting Dutch in the jalapeno role. And it may have went over some people because it went over my head the first time right. I watched it he said he said that he would he could combat that if he he had some Role aids
2: so, <laughs> right <laughs> I mean that was straight off the I mean that
0: Dutch mantel definitely with the quick wit there
2: right I don't know if I call him zeb or Dutch he's the same same freaking dude
0: yeah <laughs> so I, the match overall was a fun little TV match five minute match throw away, but uh, good back and forth, and Guerrero, I'm still impressed. I'm I'm liking Guerrero so far. We go back to the desk, and Bob's with Cornette. (laughs) Straight out of the gate, Jim Cornette says that uh, every week he's got something to say about the audience. This week he said it looks like a green room at at an acid flashback. So Cornette, whatever he wants to say, it's his promotion. I guess he can say whatever he wants to and uh, they go to this pre-taped segment that's showing, trying to show off his team. He's with uh, Phil Ramey in the back of a caddy, and they're riding to the destination. They get there, it's a Hooters. Uh, actually, on the way there, though, I made a note, he calls the driver of the, of the limo, Hurd, and that is in Jim Hurd. So he's trying to take a, a verbal jab at his old boss at WCW there, just basically saying that, these Jim's limo driver. They go into the Hooters, and the waitresses are having a party. They surround Cornett's team, so you can't see him. So the payoff's still not come coming on this episode. Stop, Cornette's stomping around because the waitresses won't get away from, from his team. I thought this was a really, really good segment, as it still builds up the suspense on who his team is. Andy, what did you think?
1: Hooter girls. I'm for it. Yep. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. Uh, Morristown Hooter Girls in 1992, though, they, they were they were lap, lacking in the upper upper body area.
1: Justin, yes, but did you see the enthusiasm? That's what matters. <laughs> That's right. Justin, what did you think about the segment?
2: That, that was actually one of the best uh, vignettes slash, uh, I don't know, bits or whatever you want to call it. I've seen so far, obviously, from from this promotion. Uh it almost it looked like a even even for the time it seemed like a a great great bit for the you know for that company. It's funny as hell. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: And it just continues the storyline on not knowing who his team right, is, exactly. even
2: though every week they tell you that
0: Stan Lane's fighting somebody at the Newport National Guard Armory coming up, and uh, so they've already basically given given away. The Stan Lane is going to be in there, but you still really don't know who his partner is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think at the time it was like, I, I think they were doing the Mister Perfect vignettes or whatever that WWE was at the time, mm-hmm. and, and it was pretty damn good, you know, competing with with them at the time. So right, I, I commend them.
0: So they, they go back to the desk, and Cornette's still stomping around. He, he says that he's going to have – he'll try again next week. He'll have a tape of his team next week. So to be continued. We go into match number three. It's Paul Miller versus Hollywood Holly. And, man, uh, the the glasses that Bob Holly was wearing, he he stole from Elton John's wardrobe. There are two flamingos kissing one another he every week he he adds more uh body ens- ensembles to his character he he started out just with the Bret Hart tights he added the Ric Flair robe now he's added Elton John sunglasses uh, by the time we get to the genesis of Bob Hawley it will take him the entire 50 minutes of the episode just to take off all his shit
2: this guy this guy was way better I'm thinking than he was. He he's way way better in this this territory than he was in WWE. He's hilarious. Yeah, in he's, my opinion.
0: he is definitely. I had for, forgot how good Bob Holly was early. that
2: that, that uh, what was that? Uh, when you know the
0: sparky plug. Racing,
2: the, yeah, spark plug Bob. Yeah, fun, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, Thurman Sparky plug, and uh, it was. Like Vince, anybody he brings in there, he's got to give him some god awful gimmick. And then Bob Holly—I mean, I'm not saying Hollywood Holly would have been the a money gimmick in the WWF at the time either. But Vince just always seemed to give guys horrible gimmicks. And Bob Holly as Hollywood Holly in Smoky Mountain—it's tongue in cheek enough to be very entertaining. He's a good worker. He's always killing jobbers. And after last week on our last episode I I think we said you know in the first episode he he almost killed Tommy Angel with a drop kick and in the second episode he did a top rope elbow drop and I made mention that I think he should go back to the drop kick every week because that was devastating well to end the match against Paul Miller he goes he hits him with a drop kick and they call it the star drop so I, I think Cornette saw how he nailed Angel with that in the other episode and said hey kid Use that as your finisher. And it wasn't quite as impressive because he was, he almost slipped off the rope. Then he regained his balance and he hit a half hearted drop kick. But hopefully, more drop kicks to come from hardcore Hollywood Holly before it's all said and done. Andy, uh, any thoughts on uh, Bob Holly and his character so far?
1: Uh, honestly, uh, this is one of those that I forgot about, so I remember Hardcore Holly, and then to go back and see this is like looking at your high school graduation photos. It's You don't recognize who the person is in the picture.
0: Absolutely. So we go back to the interview desk, and now we have the Dirty White Boy out with Ron Wright, and Wright is disappointed in the fans for not sending him enough money. He was very gracious a couple of weeks ago when he got that $5 and that heartfelt letter. Well, now he's mad because he's not getting enough money. This is really good. Dirty white boys saying it's making him sick to his stomach to have to see Mr. Wright sit in that chair. He promises to get him out of the chair. So this storyline continues to build. It's a slow burn. uh, But Ron Wright is slowly coming around as, as I knew he would to, to really become that pain in the high end and just having the dirty white boy as his wrestler just takes it up that, that other notch.
2: Yeah, this is, this is definitely, just, you kind of alluded to it, but this is a storyline that I, I'm, I, I said it before, I guess in episode eight, seven or whatever, but he, he's, he's really, this storyline's the best, They got going besides, well, Rip Rogers sucks. He keeps on losing. This is the best storyline besides that. I'm seeing, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens with this. What's next?
0: Right. Well, now we go into match number four, which is the first match of the title tournament, and it's the Maulers of Rip Morgan and Jack Victory against Johnny and Davey Rich. And uh, they're they're actually called the Rich Cousins. That is kayfabe. Davy Rich is actually not Johnny Rich's cousin, but Johnny Rich actually is the uh, real-life cousin of Tommy Wildfire Rich. So they are cousins, and Davy Rich is his storyline cousin. And Dutch actually goes back and alludes to the old royal family gimmick that uh, the Mahlers had, and said why they changed their name. So it's not like they come into this territory and Jim Cornette is smart enough to know that the fans know who these guys are. So he's going to make mention of their past. He's not going to try to bury it and say that they're somebody else. He basically explains why they're not called what they used to be. And they're the Mahlers now. So you get it. And Jack victory forever and ever. Anytime somebody was under a mask in the NWA in the late 80s, early 90s, it was by God Jack Victory. He was, he was, he's a good hand. And Rip Morgan, he looks like he could be Hacksaw Jim Duggan's uh, long lost brother. And they make a good team. And well, I was actually glad. Yeah. To, it it was a, a killer. Yeah. It was a good match. Yeah. Psychopath. He does look like a psychopath. Uh. Perfect for Halloween. But, I did like this match. It was a good back and forth match and they actually gave the win to the team that probably needed it more, which would be which was the Maulers. Uh, Johnny and Davy Rich though, they may have got if you listen if you listen back to this episode, they may have got the biggest pop of the night. They the fans was really into Johnny and Davy Rich.
1: Hey, you know why, don't you? It's because they came out to too legit to quit. I mean MC Hammer was Huge giant in 92. Then. I mean, come on. I even pulled out my old hammer pants that was in the living room going, Too legit, too legit. <laughs> you know? I think, um,
0: in yes, absolutely. I had to
2: throw the bullshit fly on that, but anyway, uh, I'll see a picture, sir. Yeah, I uh, definitely.
0: So the the match itself was it was a good back and forth match. I mean, it's a well worked tag team match, and it ends when uh, Rip Morgan takes off his shoe and plasters uh, Johnny Rich across the back with it when the referee's not looking. Victory gets the pin, so the Maulers do take the win in that match, and we come out of that match to interview the Fantastics, and now we're trying to set up the main event, and we've been they've been touting the mystery partner. All along, and lo and behold, the mystery partner is turns out to be Tommy Rogers. And Tommy Rogers was the original member of the Fantastics with Bobby Fulton. So, good payoff to the surprise to bring Tommy Rogers in for a shot and reunite the original Fantastics back together.
2: Yeah, I guess. Uh, see, you know, I'm it's my ignorance again, but you know. It was it was good to see somebody besides Jackie. Jack, Jackie, what's his face? Jackie Fulton. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, I know. I know what I'm talking about. Jackie Jackie Pedo. Yeah. Whatever. He. I don't know. I must have. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was nice.
0: Go ahead. No, I was going to say I must have skipped that pre-tape. There was a, there was an interview basically plugging a live event that had Tim Horner, the Fantastics, and Brian Lee Yeah, uh, with a live event coming up. And you had you had talked to me about this earlier. Jackie Fulton, once again, talking mm-hmm. about hugging all the pretty young girls. At, at this point, I, I know that he doesn't mean for it to sound like this, I would imagine, but I would not be surprised next week if Jackie Fulton debuts his uh, new – valet who is a 14 year old east tennessee girl because yeah
1: and yeah. the whole time eating a subway sandwich
0: that was way before <laughs> that was way oh, before that we didn't have subways around here back then
1: oh sorry sir
0: so we get the the mystery partner payoff and then we go to an interview with jimmy golden and unfortunately both of the co or are their wives are having babies at at this very moment So they're not going to be able to be here. And um, Tommy Rogers basically says he didn't fly a thousand miles not to fight. And he punches Jimmy Golden right in the face. They start brawling down to the ring. The Fantastics are down there. And then all of a sudden they're jumped by the Wild Bunch from behind. All six of them are brawling around the ring. And it, it just escalates into Jimmy Golden with the Wild Bunch versus the Fantastics as the main event of episode eight, and it was a really, really good six-man. Good debut for the Wild Bunch. Really good back-and-forth action all the way through. Billy Black uh, flying around quite a bit like he was in his highlight video from Japan. This reminded me of an early ECW brawl because they were just all over the place, and good TV main event really good TV main event. And it ends with, uh, Jack Bobby Fulton trying to catch, uh, Jimmy Golden in a crossbody. Jimmy Golden catches him. And as he spins back around, Tommy Rogers comes off the top rope and drop kicks Bobby Fulton in the back, propelling him on top of golden for the one, two, three. It was a, it was a fantastic main event. It would definitely be the match of the week most weeks, but, uh, Th- this week, we just had one that was a little bit better, but that was a really, really good TV match. Andy, what did you think of this one?
1: Well, I mean, and let's not forget, after the match is over, Tim, the Baywatch Horner, comes in for the save after it seems like our heroes are getting their asses kicked. It This was the, like I say, it was the number two match, in my opinion, only because earlier in the show, they had a much better match. But, I mean, th- this was excellent TV.
0: Yeah, Justin, what do you um, what do you think of the main event?
2: Yeah, that was one of the best. Be- <laughs> pretty much, I second second those thoughts. I mean, it's pretty much the be- best six man tag I've seen. It was a lot better than the one we saw earlier with uh, Jimmy Golden, I guess. No, I think and, Jimmy- and, and and the Fat Rockers. You know, I I like them a lot. I really do.
0: Yeah, they're they're a fun team to watch, so I hope they stick around for a while. Yeah. So yeah. we come back out of that match after Tim Horner makes the save, and the it ends with Bob Armstrong um, fining the Coloss $500 each, and they will not be allowed in the tag tournament unless they pay the fine. And I don't know – I know storyline – this is a storyline-driven thing. I don't know exactly what was going on back then, but I'm sure – there was a scheduling conflict, and the co-offs really was supposed to have been on this taping. In the way that's just kind of the way they covered it up. So, and, and honestly, the Wild Bunch with Jimmy Golden made for a much better main event than we would have saw with yeah, the Coloffs with Jimmy Golden. So it worked out for the best anyway. So now we're eight episodes into this Smoky Mountain Watch on our Fire in the Mountain show. Weekly awards. I didn't have any disagreements with what we were talking about earlier, so I'll jump into them right now. Uh, Interview of the week. Basically, it's just the whole segment with Jim Cornette debuting his new tag team with the Hooters angle. It's pushing the storyline out farther. It's one of those mysteries that you don't know what's going to happen. So it just keeps you coming back next week to see if you finally find out who Cornette's team is. So give that the interview of the week a fan of the week. Let's give it to the teenage Peter Griffin, um, in episode number seven, because, uh, he, he definitely had the, uh, the red fro going on for him or
2: mm, shy Raider did make one appearance, but
0: yeah, know, she was definitely, she must have gyrated herself out in episode
2: in episode number <laughs> six.
0: Fashion statement of the week, uh, God, we got to give it to our boy. I, well, there's there's definitely two candidates here. Let's let's do a toss up. I had Rip Rob Rip Rogers with his crazy sunglasses, but after seeing Bob Holly Four. with his flamingo sunglasses, that's, I, I don't know which one's more. Justin, did you have another candidate you'd like to add?
2: No, it, it was Bob Holly's.
0: Yeah, after I had put Rogers I mean, sunglasses down, was I,
2: it was a toss up. It was sure. a toss
0: up. Uh, Andy would you would you break the tie uh, Roger sunglasses or the Flamingo sunglasses by Mr. Hawley?
1: I'm going to have to go with uh, Rip Rogers because the Flamingo he sunglasses. Is- well, well, when I first saw him, I was sitting there thinking he's part of Cobra. That's what it is. He's part of the G.I. Joe universe. But then I realized they were Flamingos and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. So let's go back with Rip Rogers and the back to the future glasses the
0: the answer is always going to be rip rogers on this show soundbite of the week yeah probably uh it's it's either jim cornett's acid flashback comment or dutch mantel talking about ripping off hector guerrero's leg andy which one would you rather give it to
1: i'm going with dutch anytime dutch says something my god it's core it's just golden
0: yeah. Uh Justin, would you agree that it's Dutch Mantel about Guerrero? Yes. Okay, so Dutch Mantel
2: I'm not going go against that.
0: Dutch Mantel is going to rip Guerrero's leg off. So, that's sound bite of the week. And match of the week, match of our watch so far and it's not really close. Tim Horner and Rip Rogers in Not even close. Episode number 7. Well, I think the episode eight main event is close. It's it's not out of the discussion, but Horner's and Rogers in episode seven they click really good. I hope we see more of them two fighting each other because that was a heck of a TV main event. I wish that had twenty minutes.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it was the be- It was the best match I've seen so far. So.
0: Yeah, it's definitely moved up to our on our charts on the uh, Smoky Mountain Watch to number one, and uh, but yep. but the uh, match that we saw in episode eight actually of all the matches we've watched so far in Smoky Mountain history, that one's going to number two. So the two best matches we saw back to back in back to back episodes, and there, I'm sure that that will keep getting shuffled as uh, more and more good talent comes into Smoky Mountain here in the next few weeks just a lot of good things to look forward sure. to with this, with this uh, promotion. I mean, every week they're bringing you something a little bit different and it just keeps, like we talked about, it's a sl- it was a slower burn at, be- at the beginning trying to get their footing, but there's, there's still only eight episodes in, but you can definitely see they have a direction on where they're going to go. And things are just, just keep getting better. Uh, Justin, you are our resident outsider with Smoky Mountain. Every week, I ask you this: Are you still impressed with Smoky Mountain wrestling?
2: Yes, I am. Here, here's what I'll say: Look, in the in the first few episodes, I'll say it looks like you know you could have put it put it out in my backyard and said, "Go outside and, and go wrestle outside." But it's it's gotten so much better in eight you know eight eight episodes. So it's it's gotten so much better.
0: Well, and I think episode. I mean,
2: I, well, actually, I'm looking forward to so so much more. Ron, Wright, I, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, you know, Buddy Landale, he's coming in. We've saw him. Terry Gordy's hanging around. Paul Orndorff has got an interesting thing going on, because you can tell he's getting more frustrated about the pile driver angle. So we've got some really, really good characters and good storylines already set up. Andy, Smoky Mountain, eight episodes in. Where are we at? Where are you at?
1: Oh, this is nostalgia for me. I mean, uh, like you said earlier, it's been so long since I saw these episodes that it's it's still fresh in my mind and it's still entertaining because I don't remember what's going to happen, but with all the names coming in and it, I don't know, it's just refreshing to see real wrestling versus let's talk for 30 minutes and then maybe have a match.
0: Oh yeah. the It's so, uh, it is refreshing and they're pounding out four or five matches an episode everything stays pretty fresh and um, really good so far in episode eight by far the best episode. I mean, they had three really good matches in episode eight, I thought. So just a little bit of housekeeping here. Fans, if you're listening, the PWO boards, that's where we're posting all the shows and the recaps and all that on our uh, topic on the pro wrestling only boards. If you like what you're hearing, let us know. If you don't like us, if you don't like it, don't like something, let us know what you would change or what you would do different. We, we definitely take uh, any feedback, good or bad. We're all big boys. We don't care. Uh, we we want to hear what you do or don't like. What we're going to plan on doing as this show continues, we've kind of tried to map out a little road map here through the end of the year. We're going to try to put out episodes basically every Friday night, Saturday, that should be uploaded by Saturday uh, Eastern Standard Time in uh, the continental United States. We should have shows up sometime either Friday night or Saturday mornings. We will have shows the next few weeks. We will take the week off for Thanksgiving. We will come back and have a couple more shows. And it basically is going to set us up for our December the 11th or December the 18th show uh, the last show of the year will be the show where we recap Volunteer Slam, which is the Smoky Mountain title tournament. So I think that sets up as a really good stopping point for the end of the year and to jump into it next year with both feet right after the title tournament. So that's where we're at. And if you do like us, like I said, let us know if you don't like it, let us know what, what you would do different on the pro wrestling only board. So for, Justin Edgell and Andy Waddell This is Ricky Wittenberg saying another Fire in the Mountains In the Books
1: I wonder if it's raining in the mountains I wonder how the old town looks today. And if the church is there beside the river, could I go back to find where Mama lay? Does life still go to sleep just after sunset? Are the berries still as big on the vine? Do old men sit and talk about the old days? The way they did in 1949 Oh, 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 how I'd
0: like to be (coughs) In the hills of Tennessee
1: Oh, 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 it would be so fine If I could just go back to 1949